You're listening to To Whom It May Concern, a live monthly show in Los Angeles, California, where folks read their letters on stage, real letters they've written or received, correspondence back and forth, improvised letters based on audience suggestions, and the letters we only wish we could write. Christine Schoenwald returns to the letter show, this time with letters between her and her family while she was away at camp. The Christmas calls are all coming next year, and I'm sitting trying to get June 27th. Dear Chris, we received your two cards today. Thanks, and you're welcome. Pretty fast mail service for packages. You are bound to miss San Jose and all of us, but you will grow by this experience, and you will be a freer person, which is what growing up is all about. Also, I think you will look back on it as a very lovely memory, so make the most of it and take advantage of the natural resources like the river. Get a tan, get some lard off, and come back looking healthy and wiser and think how you can make your friends drool with the stories you'll be able to tell. Also, next term you'll probably have journalism, so keep in mind material for stories. Love and hugs and kisses mom. July 4th, Monday, 7.20 p.m. Dear Mom and Dad, isn't this nice stationery? I love it. (laughs) I got your letter today, and I have 50 minutes till algebra. I thought I'd write a letter to you all. If Mary the cat was here, she would be drooling. The shallows have their nests in the roof of the dining hall, and there are thousands of them. What is really sad is almost every day, Baby birds fall out of their nests and die. At first, there were a lot of baby ducks, but some were given away and some were eaten by Gracie. Gracie is one of the nicest dogs I've ever known. The geese won't let you come near their goslings. Stories about the heat up here? Right at the moment, I would sure enjoy hearing some. As it is pouring down rain. No, not in buckets. More like garbage cans full. Algebra is super hard. Everybody in my class, the grand total of four, has had it before. To be honest, at first, I just didn't care, so I didn't try. But now I am because Tom, my algebra teacher, said if we got lower than C on our tests and notebooks, we would have to spend three hours on Sunday from one to four. On Sunday, with Dan. So I try. But my pottery teacher's pretty nice. His name is Glenn Barnett. Everybody calls him GB. He is one of those gentle type people. I'm always arguing with him about creativity and that type of thing. But I think he likes me because he's pretty nice to me and he actually listens to my point of view. In arts and crafts, I craved out my wood blocks, and they are these freaky-looking eyes. Around the cabin area is this deer, more like a fawn. So pretty. I can see it right now. Tell Mary she should be up here. Kentucky is a very handsome tiger charmer. He is my roommate. Sandy the cook has a beautiful cat with blue eyes named Kidda. Sandy let me listen to her Abbey Road album. She's pretty nice. Last night we saw some movies in the dining hall, some Little Rascals and Betty Boop cartoons. 
The night before we went to a dance in town, the whole school went. It was fun. For the 4th of July, I think we're going to a village fair. <laughs> I like the idea of you and Jan and Janet coming up to pick me up. I was worries there for a while that I would have no way of getting home. Dad, I have a favor to ask of you. Would you buy me Elton John's album, Caribou? I will pay you back. What I miss most is sleeping in. Mother, wrong thing to say about what a good experience this is for me. It's not. There is this super high tree swing, but I went off. Boy, you really feel like you achieved something when you go off. Well, I have to go. I'm sorry it's messy. It doesn't have proper punctuation, but that's life. <laughs> Tell me, when I get my report card, better yet, send it up. Do I have permission to burn it? Everybody gets visitors around here except myself, but I'm growing accustomed to this mad, insane asylum. <laughs> Love for you all, especially the cats, Mom, Pop, and Elton John, John Lennon, and the city of San Jose. Chris, July 5th, happy birthday, someone, somewhere. Dear Chris, we miss you, but it's good for us to start not having you around. <laughs> for you are a gay blade. <laughs> and we'll be off and about many times in the next years, and it is right that, that this is so. So as I told Dad, we'd better learn to enjoy each other's company, for that's what us old folks will be left with, each other. But not, as I'm happy to say, for quite some time. Daddy is doing all the cooking as I'm on vacation. Love, Mom. My name is Jane Entwistle, one of the producers on To Whom It May Concern, and I read a letter to my good old Uncle Al. Dear Uncle Al, how are you? I am fine. I've been thinking a lot lately about being relevant. I remember a time when I felt relevant. I knew what to listen to, what clubs to go to, what to wear. There were rare moments when I even felt in front of the trends. Coming back from England and going to the record shop in Bellingham and asking for Jamiroquai's album only to be met with a blank stare. <laughs> or being in England that same year with a copy of Dr. Dre's The Chronic and garnering actual honest-to-God street cred. <laughs> and yes, I'm still holding on to the belief that I alone started the great hoodie trend. <laughs> now? <laughs> my sister texted me the other day that my 10-year-old nephew is busy LARPing away his days. It panicked me to realize I had no idea what she was talking about. Turns out it means live action role play? What? Hey? LARPing. Okay. <laughs> Admittedly, my street cred occurrences were limited. The only other time I can remember having legitimate street cred was in Vancouver, Canada in the mid-80s. My best friends and I would go downtown to an underage dance club on West Georgia called Shakers. It was a Saturday night, and the massive two-story club was packed. We were smack dab in the center of the dance floor, probably twirling to dead or alive's, you spin me right round, baby, right round, like a record, baby, right. The balcony was teeming with people hanging over the banister, watching everyone dance below. 
A policeman in uniform started muscling his way through the crowd. We all watched nervously, craning our necks to see what the hubbub was about. Suddenly, he tapped me on the shoulder, and I panicked. My brain cycling through all of the things I could have possibly done wrong. My only offense, in that moment, was cigarettes. Was that it? Was I being arrested for smoking? Could I somehow slide the cigarettes to the floor without him noticing? But before I even had the chance to try, I was being held aloft in the air, my feet kicking wildly. Kids started backing away from the scene, perhaps frightened they'd be interrogated next. My heart was pounding as visions of prison loomed. The police officer, whose hat had been pulled down low, raised his head slightly to make eye contact. Terror turned to anger as I recognized your smiling face, Uncle Al, <laughs> detective in the Vancouver Vice Squad. You nodded over to where my dad was standing, bent over with laughter, and then you whispered in my ear that it was bring your buddy to work night. <laughs> okay, I want you to think about that for a minute. Policeman, vice, bring your buddy to work in the patrol car while you're on the beat? I mean, come on, would that happen today in L.A.? I started pounding you on the chest, feet kicking out wildly, yelling that I was going to kill you. You set me down, nodded to my dad, and left the club. Teenagers stared at me wide-eyed. Had that little kid just beaten down a cop? I went upstairs to use the bathroom, and the crowds parted to let me pass. Whispers flying, the story about me getting bigger and bigger. That night, I felt like I owned that club. My chest puffed out, my chin jutting at an impossibly self-righteous angle. When I asked you what you told the bouncers to get inside the club, you said, I'm vice. I can go wherever I want. But for fun... I told them there was a midget drug trafficker in their midst. <laughs> the next time I encountered you in uniform, you had actual cause to arrest me. Remember? I'm sure my mom does. It was grade 12 grad, the Canadian equivalent of senior prom. A handful of limousines had rendezvoused at the Stanley Park lookout. We were drinking and carousing when squad cars pulled up. A voice came over the loudspeaker instructing everyone to get back in their limos before the drivers were charged. Everyone complied immediately, except for one brazen little redhead who flung herself onto the hood of the police car, drunkenly claiming, You can't make me! <laughs> A calm voice replied, Oh, Jane, yes, I can. If I hadn't been so drunk, I could have claimed my notorious name was known far and wide in Vancouver Police Department. But as it was, I fell into a stupor and had to be carried back to the limousine. <laughs> the next morning, wrestling with a wicked hangover, my mom came and sat on my bed. And how was the party, darling? <laughs> it was good. I mumbled, afraid the alcohol fumes emanating from my pores would inebriate my mother. Good, she said, looking wistfully out the window. Then she turned to me and with a look that could have frozen the devil's mustache, whispered, Uncle Al hopes you're feeling better. 
I never thanked you for not arresting me, Uncle Al. And thank you for affording me that tiny glimpse into what it feels like to have bona fide street cred, as fleeting as it may have been. For whatever reason, it's something that stayed with me all these years, enough to write this letter in any case. Thank you for your service on the streets of Vancouver. All my love, Janie. Kevin Bernson is a special guest improviser. We asked the audience to suggest a franchise and an object you would find at that franchise. They suggested Best Buy, and the object they suggested was an adapter. Dear Best Buy, I am writing this letter, to whom it may concern, I suppose, because I'm a proud dad to three lovely girls. (laughs) Hannah, 12, Courtney, 11, and Leilani, 6. It was Courtney, 11, birthday the other day, and we all got in the Saturn and drove to Best Buy. As we do every birthday, we walked in through the sliding glass doors, expecting another productive visit to Best Buy. We nodded at the security guard, Sheila, and she nodded back. I remember that detail because that's the first contact with a woman I've had in quite some time. (laughs) See, I'm a single dad. Hannah, Courtney, and Leilani, six, all have a mother who is absentee. More about that later. We made our way past the electronics section, which is most of the store, surprisingly. over to an area we had yet to visit, the adapter section. See, my daughters have had a hard time adapting to school at Sierra Madre, where we recently moved since the divorce. I thought seeing some real-life adapters might help them get through this difficult time. They've taken some solace in sports, but I'm not a big sports guy. Anyway, I held up a 120 volt current adapter and said, see? (laughs) Hannah, 12, nodded knowingly. Courtney kind of shrugged and little Leilani, six, just looked a little puzzled. I smiled and held her. Anyway, the reason I'm writing is because I was wondering if we could get some adapters for free and not have to pay for them. See, I sell radio advertisement. It's been a little tough recently, and I haven't been able to afford Christmas gifts for the girls. Mom was the breadwinner for much of our marriage. She was a police officer, and before she left me for Sergeant Phillips... She was making pretty good pay. Anyway, at this Best Buy visit, I had maxed out my credit cards, much to my chagrin. Poop, I said to my kids and smiled. They just nodded their head, well, shook their heads. I'm sorry, hard to read my own writing. And left the store disappointingly. Sheila, on the way out, the security guard said... Again, Doug? And I said, again. Anyway, let me know about the adapters. Bye, Doug Fairbanks. 
Dear Best Buy, hi, it's me again. This time I enclosed a photo of my, me and my three daughters, Hannah, 12, Courtney, 11, and Leilani, 6. This is us at Kmart getting a family photo. Thought it might improve my odds about getting those free adapters. I know it's only been a day since last I wrote you, but I thought this might facilitate the thing. Anywho, heard from their mom the other day. She's doing well. She lives in Altadena. Okay, write back if you want. Thinking of you. Bye. Yours truly, Doug Fairbanks. Thank you. Tanya McClure was one of the first readers we ever had on the show, and she returns over a year later to read a letter to her body that had the audience screeching. Dear body, since I can't wire up and stuff our brain into a glass jar and live, finally live detached from this thick son-of-a-bitchin'-body burrito you've entrapped me in, I dream that you'll get some kind of great wasting disease. But if that doesn't happen and you end up killing us with a massive coronary, making us spend our final years cruising the Ralph's candy aisle in the mobility scooter because our knees blew out, I'll be counting on nature for once to finally rot us to the bone. And then my dream can come true and my tombstone will read, finally thin and not be a total fucking lie or only temporarily true. I hope the sun will come out tomorrow while blast on some shit boombox at the side of our grave hole while our friends stand near cheering. Finally, Tanya got what she wanted. Tomorrow really is a brighter day for dear Tanya's body is emaciated. When the bulldozers covered us up, I hope our friends will pour a little drippings on our dirt pile, then go have a party. When they enter the establishment, I hope they'll yell, no hips, no hips, hooray! And blow on some fucking kazoos. That's right, dearest body, I happen to detest you and your shit fucking metabolism. I hate your big fucking ass and your giant flab fuck arms. Like a baby's waist your arms are. And your big, stupid boobs. And what is it with you always announcing our womanness to the world? I don't want you tits making our arrival before our head has made its way into a room. And lest we forget your tube legs, one thickness all the way down, just like what maggots look like when magnified and smiling for the microscope. I can only imagine what these nice people must be thinking, seeing us standing here, body. A, they're thinking how incredibly angry this girl is, but more importantly, B, they're thinking that you have circus ass. And they're right, body. You are circus freaky. And don't let anyone even begin to pretend that Kardashian ass is something everyone likes. People say that, but they don't mean it. And the same goes for J-Lo. You suck so hard, because even though I'm not gorging my face on fucking ice cream Twinkies or chicken fried steak, well, maybe sometimes chicken fried steak, you continue to insist that we need to store this fat away. We don't live in a desert, body. I'm never going to need these fat reserves. 
So why don't you just cut it the fuck out? But hey, given that our mother's name is Denny, maybe you're not entirely to blame. To be fair, you've been cursed with the Denny's affliction, as I have. Women with great big fucking asses and huge, heaping helpings of eccentricity. Unfortunately, we're not related to the restaurant string of Denny's, so we don't have millions to soften the blow. If only I were a rich fuck Denny's heiress, I'd take your ass right to the corner liposuction joint and stick a hose in that ass fat and flip that switch. And yeah, the idea of hacking off the backs of your arms is pretty appealing to me as well. And I'll tell you right now, I'd rather have you have seams at all the places I sliced off of you than this fucking mound of lumpy shit enveloping our brains. This is the only part of ourselves that I like anyway, minus the mental illness part. Oh, go cry. I'll be thin some fucking day, body. And if people make it out to our dirt hole to say goodbye, I hope they won't forget the drippings. This grease is for my homies. Eric Weston closes the show with a letter the likes of which we have never seen. He proposed to his unsuspecting girlfriend under the guise of reprising his letter about toilet training his cats. The audience was on the edge of their seats, waiting for her answer, which was, oh, you'll just have to listen for yourself. This is a letter from father to son. I wanted to write you a letter thanking you for throwing us a surprise 30th anniversary party. Your mother and I had no idea. Your speech was so funny. We haven't laughed that hard in years. Who knew that 30 years of marriage translates to 946,707,780 seconds? So many memories. You made me think of our very first year together. Now, when you reach my age, you'll realize how important that first year was. You know some of the details, but I wanted to share the story of how we met and fell in love. It was back some 30-plus years ago. Things were a lot different back then. The world was simpler. We didn't meet in the traditional way. I was on a dating site when your mother's profile popped up and something caught my eye. She noticed me looking and took the first step in saying hi. I mean, I would have said hi first, but she beat me to it. Actually, I was a bit shy and didn't think I had a chance. We exchanged messages back and forth for a bit, which led to me asking her out. Luckily, she said yes. Our first date was at a local pub. I bought her a drink, and we instantly hit it off. The conversation flowed effortlessly. We laughed at a lady whose thong was sticking out of her leopard pants. We bonded over stomach issues and got into a deep conversation about which is worse, vomiting or defecating on yourself. <laughs> she chose to defecate and I chose to vomit. 30 plus years later and your mother still insists she's right and I'm wrong. Somehow we hit it off and there was no turning back. We had been dating a couple months when I came across the first turtle, meeting her best friends. Being a smartass, I crafted a dating resume to help win them over. Under skills, I listed knowledge in buying flowers, cooking, baking, hanging pictures, good at mini golf, and very knowledgeable in advanced sexual positions. Under health and hygiene, I listed daily showers, clean sheets, and brush and floss daily. I also listed test results for hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. All were uh, negative, negative, I think so. Uh, for references, I listed my best friend, my sister, my cats, and my left and right hand. Uh, mostly the right. 
The meeting went great, and I got the okay from her friends who took me in and treated me like one of the family. The next hurdle, meeting her parents. I brought flowers to help this epic summit start off smoothly, but I was in for a surprise because upon walking in their home, your grandparents quickly sat us down and started taking your mother's pulse using an iPhone app. <laughs> if that wasn't awkward enough, they did the same thing to me. This was before I could even say, hello. On the drive home, your mother said her parents really liked me and my healthy pulse. Our next turtle was camping. A true test of any relationship. We camped three times that year. Trip number one was 55 mile per hour wind and waking to rain on my face at 3 a.m. because someone didn't think to put up the tent's rain shield. Trip number two was 105 degree heat, fighting fire ants with borax and ending in a Bakersfield hotel. Trip number three was extreme cold, loud boy scouts and choking on pretzels. Needless to say, we survived all three trips, and our bond grew stronger. For her birthday, I took her to Catalina Island, where our relationship faced its greatest challenge. Could your mother, who is afraid of heights and the daughter of an extremely worrisome woman, ride five zip lines high in the Catalina Hills, 600 feet above sea level, and cruising at speeds up to 40 miles an hour? The answer was yes. Not because it was her birthday, but because I really wanted to do it. She showed courage in the face of fear and conquered all five zip lines without changing her pants. She survived, but more importantly, we survived and never went ziplining again. We had been dating eight months when I got invited on the annual 10-day family vacation to Lake Tahoe. I mean, this was huge. Even Uncle Howard, when he was just dating Aunt Erica, only got a five-day invite, but I got invited for all 10 days, which excited and terrified me. What if I said the wrong thing? What if I wasn't Jewish enough? Or worse, what if my pulse wasn't healthy anymore? I knew if things went south, there was an airport an hour away in Reno. Luckily, her family welcomed me with great food, tons of laughs, and port wine. Most importantly, I won over the person whose approval I desperately needed, her six-year-old niece, Tolly, when we baked cookies together. A few months later, I took your mother to Florida for Thanksgiving and to get past the last hurdle meeting my family. Again, I was excited and terrified. She had met my father and his wife a few months back, but a trip this length could spell disaster because it was the epic meeting of sister and girlfriend. All my worries melted away when she and Aunt Tracy instantly clicked like they knew each other for years. We horsed around that whole trip. Grandpa Steve even took her on a Harley ride, which did not end in her initiation into his biker gang by getting born to be wild tattooed on her neck. I mean, that first year flew by and was filled with so much love, laughing, mini golf, and wine. Cooking, traveling, camping, and wine. Bad jokes, movies, sushi, hikes, seeing shows, and wine. Throwing parties, discovering vodka gimlets, which wasn't wine, eating out, making new friends, having a Harry Potter marathon, and drinking barrels of wine. Did I mention the wine? Yes, okay. We saw each other so much that months felt like years, but in a good way. I learned so much that year, like aspirin and ibuprofen aren't the same thing. Or you should always smack and whip your berries. Or that new potatoes are much better than old potatoes. Or the wisdom of her father, who once said, after hearing the phrase, happy wife, 
happy life, rebutted with happy hubby, wife isn't chubby. <laughs> but Bonnie Tyler summed it up best when she sang, once upon a time I was falling apart, but now I'm only falling in love. There's nothing I can do, a total eclipse of the heart. That first year was amazing, but the best experience, the one that will always stick in my head for the rest of my life, was the night I asked her to marry me. Now this is back some 30 plus years. It was a cool, rainy January night at a theater that used to be called The Lyric before Jane Entwistle bought it. I was reading a letter at her show to whom it may concern. Your mother thought I was going to talk about toilet training my cats, but it was all a ruse. I packed the place with our closest friends. My father and sister even flew in for it. I mean, that night was magical. I read my letter, then got down on one knee and said those five magic words. And she said yes. You have been listening to To Whom It May Concern, produced by Jane Entwistle and Justin Crane, and recorded live at the Lyric Hyperion Theater and Cafe in Silver Lake, California. Justin Crane is the other producer on To Whom It May Concern, and he has been working tirelessly behind the scenes for over 15 episodes, and I thought it was about time you got to hear his voice just as much as mine. The musician for this episode was none other than Jossie Ross. Subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes so we rise above the fray. You can also find us on Podbean and Stitcher. And if you have a letter you'd like to submit, even if you live under the sea, we'll read it for you. Visit readyourletter.com. Tell the girl that I like that she's so different Cause she do as she plays And frustrates